There is an art to hosting people in your house, isn't there? There's an art to it. Uh, and some people are better at it. Some people are na more natural at it than others. Um, in our home, uh, we have been going through kind of a change as we've been coming out of the pandemic. Our house has, and I don't really know how this has happened, but our house has become a gathering point for teenagers on a regular basis. Uh, mostly through our younger daughter, Hannah. Um, all of a sudden, on any given day, and definitely over the weekends, there are groups of teenagers there, some of whom I know their name, that just pass in and out of our house or in and out of our backyard. Um, and, uh, and, and that's been, a, that's been a new dynamic. The other new dynamic is that it is, it is uh, co-ed, uh, which I'm adjusting to and doing, um, I think, pretty well. Probably Hannah would have a different perspective on that, but I feel like I'm handling it well. Um, but Beth, my wife, is more natural at just kind of hosting than I am. Um, uh, and, and so she, she tries to get me to understand. She goes like, it's better for our house to be the place the teenagers are gathering. Uh, and I'm like, really? And she's like, yes, you know, because we want to know their faces. We want to know their names. We want them to know us. We want to have a sense of who they are. And I'm like, really? It seems like someone else could host at some point, and that'd be okay. But, uh, but, but our house is that. Um, this recently, uh, we had to go through this whole thing uh, because it was Hannah's 15th birthday. And she, she narrowed it into uh, one of two parties. And I was trying to play the angle of, like, it's not your 16th birthday party, so we're going to celebrate it, but let's just try to hone it in on the essential people that need to be there. Because her two options were, uh, we're going to take a group of people out to dinner at a restaurant, uh, or we're going to host a group of people at our house. And these, in any organization, a consultant would say, these are competing values for me. Uh, because I am, while hosting is a challenge for me, I am notoriously cheap and frugal. And so taking people out to a restaurant is also difficult for me uh, when it's co-ed, because 15-year-old boys eat just an, uh, an absurd amount of food. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and, and so, so I was kind of like, we were like, all right, well, let's narrow it in on the essentials. And Hannah finally came to us. She's like, I've narrowed it in. It can't be any, I, it's 20 people. And I'm like, 20 people? And she was like, I'm like, we can't like lop a few off like from, from that. And she's like, no, like I've like, everything, it's gotta be 20 people. And so are we gonna go out to dinner to a restaurant and I'm seeing the dollar signs in my head or are we gonna host at our house and all of that goes in with it. Finally, she says, you know, I don't think we're gonna go out to a restaurant. Let's host people at our house. Let's do it from like four to 10. And I was like, no, that is, you know, so then we're negotiating that and the time. In the end, we kind of whittled it down to 5.30 would be the start time, and, uh, and everybody came over. Uh, and, you know, and all the time that we're gathering with people, whether, whenever it is, I'm always thinking about what could go wrong, right? Like someone spilling something somewhere, what's not going to work tomorrow because it was broken? Like whenever there's silence that actually worries you more, it's like, what just happened, right? Or, or you know, what? And so I kind of try to monitor and walk around and, you know, just make certain. So the birthday party happens, uh, and it was a success, just so you know. Uh, we didn't get sued by anybody at the end of the night, and that was a victory. Uh, we didn't have any 
thing that seems major that we are noticed that's broken in our house. Uh, we, we, everyone seemed to get along. Hannah said it went well. Uh, and so, you know, it was, it was a, uh, a successful night. But it just reminds you, and, and I think it's important for us all to be aware, that hosting, having something in your house is work. Some people might be more drawn to it than others, but it's an art form to be a good host. In the teaching series that we're in right now, looking at a certain passage from Luke chapter 5, we're looking at it from different perspectives of the different people that are there. And today we're going to read the opening verses of the passage we've been looking at by considering the perspective of the homeowner. Again, we're going to read just the opening verses. Luke 5, 17 through 19. I invite you to listen to God's word to us today. One day, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men came, carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him up in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed, through the tiles, into the middle of the crowd, in front of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are, or how we gather here today, that we would all hear your gospel, your good news, and it would change us forever. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the point of this series is that we're taking five weeks to try to really understand how it is that you get into the depths of Scripture. How it is that we look at a Scripture passage and see that there are layers to a Scripture passage. It's not just uh, one meaning. Uh, it, it's why it is that it, it, can, it can drive me crazy when people are like, oh, you know, we studied the book of Galatians five years ago. We don't need to study it today. And it's like, well, there's not one answer to the book of Galatians. There's not like one thing at the end of it. And the book of Galatians just means this. And once you've studied it, you don't need to look at it again. There's layers to a text. There are layers and depths to it that are there. You can see that when you study the Bible in groups. Other people are going to see certain things. You're like, oh, this is what this passage means. This is what stands out to me. And someone else is going to see something completely different. They're going to see a different layer. And it's not necessarily that one person's right and one person's always wrong. Or you can see this when you look at a passage of Scripture over time. Like I said, you can look at a passage of scripture five years ago and it can say something really powerful to you. And then you can look at it five years later and there's something else that you see. There's something else that you notice. There's different layers because part of the layers that we bring to the Bible is we bring ourselves. We bring our experiences. We bring our worldviews. And when that changes, it alters the different levels that we see, the layers, the depth of the text that's there. That's what we're trying to do in this series. And this is a way that you can study the Bible on your own and, and look at these different layers. It's to consider what was it like for the different people who were there? Because each of them is going to see and experience this in a different way. But it's not that one of them is necessarily right and one of them is necessarily wrong. For instance, we started the first week of the series by considering what was this like for the paralytic? That's not a place we naturally go. But what was it like to sit there and go, what was this like to be carried before Jesus, to be carried up on the roof of house, to be lowered through the roof to Jesus where Jesus is and have all those eyes on you and wondering what's happening? What was that like and what can you and I learn from the perspective of what that is in our own brokenness? 
to move before Jesus and to seek healing. We talked about last week what it was like to understand the miracle of friendship. What was this like for the friends? What was going on with them? What was it that they were experiencing as they were tearing the roof off of this house? And what can that teach us and say to us about what following Jesus looks like? And today, as I said, we're going to be talking about the one whose roof is removed, the homeowner. And what was it like for him or her? to go through the experience of these events. I think it is interesting, and I didn't didn't notice this when when the series was written or when we outlined it, but it is interesting that the rhythms that we talk about, the habits that we are formed in here at Covenant, that we talk about all the time of solitude, community, and service. We say that this doesn't just come from one place in the Bible. It's all around the place, but it's actually here in these first three weeks, isn't it? We talked about what it means to be the paralytic, to understand that every one of us, as John led us in confession today, every one of us has a brokenness in us. It manifests itself in different ways, but what does it mean to understand that if we take that in front of Jesus, that Jesus can cleanse that and transform that? What does it mean to have that sort of connection, that spiritual relationship with Jesus? We talk about that as solitude. Second leg that we talk about, the second habit that we talk about here at Covenant is the importance of community and a society that is regressing at this, that is becoming more and more uh, lonely, more and more isolated, uh, and where study after study is showing that, the importance of friendship, the importance of community, the importance of having people in your life that will tear the roof off a house so that God can do something new in your life. What friendship looks like and how we need to pursue that habit. And today, the third of these habits that we talk about all the time that shapes and forms us at Covenant that all of us need to be uh, living out is I think we see in the homeowner is the habit of service. What does it mean to serve something larger with what we have in this case? You know, from the very beginning in verse 17, which we first read, the hosts are on, right? I mean, there is a crowd of people there, and there's so much that we don't know about these homeowners. We don't know, for instance, did they just think that Jesus was coming, uh, and they were excited for a small, intimate gathering? They don't know if they thought some of the disciples were coming. We don't know if they were hoping that this huge crowd would gather. We don't know if some of them were stressed out by hosting, or if some of them loved the idea of hosting, and just as more people were coming in, it was like, oh, the energy of this, and look at what's happening. We don't know that their attitude to it. We don't know if they were sitting there going, could you just put a coaster under that? Like, my grandmother gave me that. It's going to leave a mark. Just put a coaster. It'll make me feel like we don't know what this was like, Uh, and hosting is an art. It can happen in different ways, but I think that whether you love hosting in your house or whether it's stressful. I think we can all agree that there was a moment when they heard the prancing and pawing of feet on their roof where the hosts were like, this feels beyond the line, right? This, like, what is going on? I can imagine if it was a couple, one looking at the other going, you better take care of this. I don't know what's about to happen up there. And then as the walking on the top happens, and then you hear banging on the roof, banging and banging. And you got to understand, this likely took place for at least an hour, if not more. These folks didn't come like con- with construction equipment to quickly and neatly remove a roof from a house. They showed up there not knowing that was going to happen, and so they likely used their bare hands to punch, to claw, to scrape, to kick the tiles away, not just so that like water damage could happen, but that an entire adult human being could be lowered through the roof of the house. 
And I can imagine the homeowner that there's like a range of things going through your mind, right? It's like, uh, are, are the disciples fixing this afterwards? Like Luke gives us these details that it wasn't just like a little straw roof that got removed. Luke says tile was falling among them. This was a roof that was meant to last. And, and, and so bits of tile and dust are in the air and falling around. Like, and I wonder, like, did Jesus just keep teaching? Like nothing was happening, did you like just carry on? You know, it's like, what is going on in the middle of this? The homeowner's going, this is not under my, my, my homeowner's insurance policy. Like who is gonna fit while we're healing people? Cause the roof, it's supposed to rain tomorrow, right? Is the roof gonna get fixed at the end of this? And what has been frustrating for me is I've never heard a sermon on this. I've never heard a Bible study on it. And it seems like Luke doesn't give very much credit. They're just like, we're just not told anything. If the homeowner's like rushing outside, kicking Jesus out of the house, go do this outside, whatever's about to happen. So one of the things that I like to do when, when you're trying to get into a passage of scripture is, 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 is to look and see sometimes there's great art that's made. And, and artists have a perspective on this. And sometimes seeing it visually can unlock. And I'm like, I wonder what, how artists capture this moment. And maybe Luke doesn't capture the homeowner, but, 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 but maybe like an artist does. So I've got three paintings um, that we're going to bring up here. The first is this. The first is from the late 18th century. It's, it's a, a European uh, artist who, who, who did this. And, and I love the perspective they bring. Uh, they choose the moment right as the middle of the paralytic being lowered. I think there's kind of this wonderful sense of the paralytic's arms being out. You get the chaos of the moment. It's not like some pulley system that they lowered them down in. And so I like the kind of cloth and blankets. It's haphazard. Uh, you can see the people on the right trying to help uh, with what's going on. Jesus is actually on the left just calmly sitting there. Maybe that's what Jesus did. But, uh, but part of what you miss in this is you miss sort of the, the, the dirt of it, right? The roughness of it. Like the, the roof is like very neatly removed. It was like a Presbyterian committee that removed the roof in a very <laughs> studious manner. There's no tile on the ground. Like all the stuff Luke describes isn't there. But it's a fascinating moment that's captured here in this. Uh, the second one uh, is, is, is from Africa. I love this moment, uh, how this artist captures it. This artist captures the moment where the paralytic first, it seems like, begins to move. You see that leg kind of starting to raise up for the first time in, in years and being able to move. And, and this, this look of whether it's exhilaration or joy or, 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 or disbelief on the face of the paralytic. You see the joy on the faces of people. There's some fear on the faces of people. Um, it's a fascinating moment. You do notice above Jesus, there is a pulley that's there. I think we can feel pretty confident there was a, uh, wasn't a pulley system that was erected to lower the paralytic in. But you get a sense of what's taking place. And I love this art. I love this moment that the artist chooses to capture. Or, or the next one, by a, by a Korean artist. Um, and this is one where you see a different take. Uh, here you see more of what probably the roof actually looked like. It's more like a jagged wound in the roof, right? Just kind of bare hands that have opened this thing up. There's bits of the roof hanging down. There's, there's bits of the roof on the ground and tile. It's the moment just it seems like as the paralytic is lowered in and Jesus is kind of jumping into action at this moment. Uh, but you do miss the sense of the crowd and the rush, the, the, the dense kind of number of people that are there. But as I look through this and enjoyed, again, the perspectives of what each artist is capturing, if we go through it again, let's go back to the first one real quickly. I still feel like with Luke, it's like, where's the homeowner? Where's the individual that's just freaking out at these events that are taking place? It's not there. Or the next one, 
Again, where's the homeowner, right? Like nobody that's sitting there like pointing at the roof going, who's taking care of this in the middle of it? Or the next one. Everyone's focused on Jesus, focused on the events of what's taking place. And so it's almost like in the art that I was starting to wonder, it's like, Luke, like, are we giving the homeowner enough credit? Are we capturing the moment? And, 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 and then something hit me this week. Maybe the homeowner's just been overlooked, just like most Bible studies and sermons that are taught on this that don't focus on the homeowner. But maybe they're not. Maybe the homeowner of what Luke is trying to tell us is the power is what they don't do. The power is in the absence of their protest. That maybe, just maybe, in the shock of the roof being removed, that there is a moment for the homeowner where the homeowner becomes more interested in what Jesus is going to do than of the state of their house. And maybe the artists haven't missed it. But maybe the homeowner isn't different from the other people in the crowd who are just watching in amazement or in questions as to what's taking place, but that their focus is on the same place as everybody else. You see, when I host, part of my struggle is that I'm focused on what happens to the house much more than the people that are there. And maybe there's something important for us to learn about the absence of information of the response of the homeowner. I've seen this at work in the lives of how it can change people and change circumstances before. I have never thought about it in these terms until this week. But I was thinking about a, an individual uh, that I knew um, who lived in Atlanta, Georgia, where I grew up. Go Braves. Uh, not bringing that up again. Uh, but but uh, her name was Christy Simmons. Christy was a really amazing individual. She and her husband, Greg, had five children. And when she and her family were, were visiting on vacation in North Carolina, Greg and three of his oldest children were out for a hike, and there was a tragic accident, and uh, Greg was killed. And Christy was left to raise her five children uh, by herself. Uh, she had a wonderful home that she had, uh, actually she and Greg had bought together, and uh, they raised, uh, she raised the children there in that home. And one day, I, I got to know Christy because she was attending the church that I was first working at. As some of you know, my first job was working with college students, and our ministry started growing quite quickly. And Christy came up to me one day towards the end of the school year, and she said, I wonder if you've thought about having some sort of end of the school year gathering. And I said, well, we had thought about that, but the place we did it before is now too small for us. And she said, well, what if you did it at my house? Her youngest child had just gone to college, and she had this house, and she was now an empty nester. And she said, I would love to host the students at my home. Now, I was both grateful for that, but also hesitating, because as our ministry had grown, we had grown with college students. And how were they going to care for Christie's house? And specifically, a group of students that I was worried about who had just started attending was a group of rugby players from Georgia Tech who were there. They played club, club rugby. And uh, they were very much clear that as the ministry had grown, they were not there for the spirituality. They had just started coming recently. But our ministry, as it had started growing, was about 75% female. And so they began attending for that reason. They were very clear that that was the reason that they were there. And that, uh, and, and I, I guess at one level appreciated their honesty. And they said they were going to attend. Now, my wife loves rugby. I'm not saying anything, you know. But the, the reputation of rugby players is not at the end of the match that they're holding a Bible study. And this was true of this group, right? 
And the ringleader of the group was a guy named Ted. Ted was as wide as a house and was, had been unbelievably straightforward and honest with me that he was not there because of anything about faith or spirituality. He'd only been coming for a month. But Ted and the rugby players all signed up to attend Christie's house. And I arrived there a little early, and I was trying to kind of just say, hey, you know, these guys, they're, they're 19, 20. And she goes, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, they play rugby. Have I mentioned they play rugby? And they arrived there, and there was just this volume that increases. These students inside of the house, outside of the house. She had a huge backyard. And all of a sudden, while I'm talking to her in the house, thanking her for her generosity and her warmth and her hospitality, all of a sudden there was this wild screaming in the backyard. And I looked at her, I'm like, I'm going to go see what that is real fast and go walking outside. And Christy is walking behind me. And she had in her backyard a, a regulation-sized soccer goal. Two of her children went to college on soccer scholarships. Soccer was a big part. They had this huge goal that was there to practice on. And there on the goal is no one playing soccer, but it's the rugby team led by Ted who has jumped up and is grabbing the crossbar and hanging from it and doing pull-ups. And every time he would get to the top, he would scream this scream that everyone was watching him. And the other rugby players, again, not small little people, a lot of weight are jumping up on the crossbar as well. And I said to Christy, they're going to break that let me just go stop it real fast. She goes, no, 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 you don't need to do that. I'm like, oh, no, I really would feel better if you let me go do this. And she said, you know what? Isn't it amazing to see all of these young people pursuing Jesus? She said, imagine how the world could look different if God got a hold of some of their lives. They didn't break the soccer goal. We had dinner. Christy got to share a little bit about her story with the students of finding God in the midst of staring into the abyss and pain. And we left. A few months later, Teddy, despite all of his intentions, had Jesus invade his life a few months later. And he became a Christian. It changed the directory of a story like that. For the last 15 years, this rugby player has been doing missionary work in Asia, working with college students himself. And over the course of his ministry in Asia, hundreds of students and professors have heard of the gospel of a Middle Eastern carpenter who declares that they are totally seen and totally loved and given hope in this world and in the world to come for what life can be. I've never associated Christy Simmons with the ministry that Teddy is doing. But I wonder what would happen if Christy had responded by yelling at those kids to get off the soccer goal. I wonder what stereotypes that would have reinforced for them. I wonder what walls would have continued to shut down. But when she saw those rugby players screaming and doing pull-ups on a soccer goal, she said, imagine what can happen if God got a hold of their lives. Those students and professors that Ted is working with today in Asia will never know the name Christy Simmons. But they're a part of her story, aren't they? And she's a part of their story. They're a part of her legacy of seeing her stuff not as something to protect, but as something 
that the kingdom can come alive through. And that's the legacy of the homeowner. The legacy of the homeowner, it seems to me, is that they did not go out and yell and scream and demand that everyone leave. But somehow, in some way, they saw what was happening to their stuff as realizing it's just stuff. But their focus was able to move to what might Jesus do in the midst of this. And they changed the world. And you and I are part of the legacy of that homeowner. Because that homeowner was in the very early stages of the Jesus movement, and this is some of how it started to spread all around. I think that for many times when we study the scriptures, there's a cop-out that we can naturally run to of going, well, I see this person doing this, but I can't do that. I can see this person doing this, but I don't have those gifts. I can see, and I'm not certain that really works, but today it definitely doesn't work. Every one of us in here can make a decision about how we see our stuff, our money, our homes, our possessions. Whether like me, when I host, the focus is on the thing. Or maybe just maybe I could begin hosting teenagers at my house, wondering how might this gathering expose them to something that is more beautiful than anything they could imagine. And every one of us in here could make that kind of decision today with what God has blessed us with. And if we did it, the world could change like that. The witness of the homeowner is something powerful in this story. I wonder what it might mean for you. Lord, we ask and pray that you would lead us, that you would guide us and how this legacy might be ours, and how the perspective of the homeowner might become something we embrace as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.